You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish, and today we're going back to back again with Nick Gastovich, aka Can Investments. Manish, long time no see. Great to be back. <laughs> just and just so people know, we're recording this on the same day, so this is a bit of an epic session for both of us. Uh, but you know, I think there's a lot to digest here. Let's get to it. Okay, so. We just finished recapping the first three MSOs in the order that we like them the most. Now, this next group of MSOs, so this is, we got four more here. Uh, you know, these guys, they've got a lot more to prove. And, uh, you know, that's why they're lower down on the list. But they all traded also lower absolute numbers, which does make them potentially higher return, you know, depending, depending, depending. Yeah, some some interesting names. I think, you know, a few of the differentiators are perhaps, you know, they have good operations now, but the future growth story isn't quite as there or they're a bit, you know, less unproven on on one aspect of the business or the other. Mm -hmm. There's certainly still a, a lot of opportunity and, you know, fairly reasonable valuations for a reason. Right. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, so opportunity MSO number four. Uh, is Pharmacan. And Pharmacan is a private MSO. I would say it's probably one of the last, maybe the last really great private MSO in terms of scale. Uh, and Pharmacan, people probably know from for two reasons. One is that it was supposed to merge with MedMen and then it you know broke apart from that. And then more recently, Altria, uh, or sorry, Kronos uh, through Altria, or sorry, Ultra through Kronos, uh, invested in Pharmacan sort of indirectly buying the option to buy a 10% stake in Pharmacan. And that valued the company at a billion dollars US. Uh, now, again, this company is private, but I think it's likely to go public in the near future. And I would imagine the valuation would be slightly higher than that 1 billion uh, from the Altria deal. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely an interesting history with, with the men, men fiasco. Uh, but I think there's a lot of, to appreciate about this operator. Um, I think similar to air and ascend, it's certainly in that family of very methodical and, uh, specific state, um, allocation where, where the, you know, the markets that they choose to operate in. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a story that, you know, has, a heavy retail focus today, and but there's a lot to go in terms of uh, re really getting scale. Um, and I think above all else, there's you know kind of two major crown jewels: one being Illinois today, um, and then the future one being uh, New York, where where they've gone big from day one and are really seeing a lot of opportunity in that market and are preparing for it. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's break it down for people. So. Pharmacan is a really interesting and a bit of a complicated story um, in that it has really gone through a transition since the the uh, MedMen debacle. And 
you know, somebody in the industry once said to us that uh, Pharmacan is the GTI footprint minus the execution. So, uh, you know, a bit harsh, but <laughs> but not incorrect either. I mean, when you look at the the states they have, and we'll go through it. So they've got Illinois, New York, Mass, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Maryland. And everything except for uh, Maryland, I think they, they, for the most part, won. You know, there's a little bit of acquisition here and there. But if you think about that footprint to, to be won organically, Illinois, Ohio, PA, Mass, New York, that is really, really impressive. Uh, and I would say this company's actually been a bit blessed in its footprint. And so for them, it's maybe not even worth it to go out and acquire because there's so much internally they still have to build out. And so they've got a, a brand new C-suite. They've got, you know, they've, they've kind of revamped their, their organization. And over the last year and a half, I would say, since the MedMen divorce, uh, they've really been focusing on just operationalizing their assets. Yeah. And I think the, the Kronos deal speaks a lot to the opportunity they see with, with this company and the, the future that they have in, in trying to get an early stake and establish that sort of future relationship. And, I, you know, I think similar to the Canopy deal, they're licensing out kind of a lot of their internal brands and IP for PharmaCan to start start utilizing. Um, but yeah, at, at its core, you know, if you go state by state, you, obviously what you see here is really attractive in terms of, you know, really concentrated footprints and, you know, essentially vertical in every market, I think, other than Maryland. Um, but yeah, Illinois, eight stores and a grow. You know, that's some that's some serious scale to go after. Mm-hmm. Maryland, the three stores, uh, Massachusetts, two stores today, one one to go. New York, they have all four stores open in the grow. Uh, Ohio, three stores in a grow, and then Pennsylvania, which I think is kind of the other could be a big, you know, kind of trend, uh, kind of bridge the gap between the Illinois business today and what the future New York business will be. I think they mm-hmm. have a lot of room to grow in Pennsylvania four stores today, but nine total in a grow. Um, so up there with, with a number of the big boys and, you know, I think going vertical and really, uh, I think they, you know, have a lot of work to in, in learning the cultivation side of the business and perfecting mm-hmm. their brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but just within that footprint, just getting operational will pay tremendous dividends for the company. Yeah. And so Illinois, you know, they, they're just, I think they just finished opening all their stores. So like they're, now they're dialing that in uh, Pennsylvania, like you said, there's still five more stores to open. So they'll have nine stores in PA when all said and done uh, Maryland, I actually believe they are fully vertical now after a recent deal. Uh, so they do have a grow in processing there. Oh, there you go. And you know, mass, they have their three stores open, which again, like how many companies even have three stores open in mass. Right. Uh and then New York, you know, they're they're uh, they announced it, I think, back in December with IIPR that they were expanding the New York grow. So New York will be over a hundred thousand feet, probably closer to two hundred thousand feet, and they will have eight. You know, if, again, if you take sort of 50 percent of that as canopy, you're going to have a massive canopy. And these guys are neck and neck with Cureleaf in terms of being the largest wholesaler. It's not really a competition. I mean, both companies are going to make a killing on the wholesale side in New York. And I think these are going to, you know, Pharmacan is going to be one of the few companies that is really built out and scaled in New York when the time finally comes to sell recreational. So, uh, you you know, we don't know what the canopy cap is going to be in New York, but I imagine it'll be in and around 100,000. And, you know, it could be 150 like New Jersey, could be a little less. 
but let's say between 100 and 150. And so these guys are going to be basically at the limit, ready to go. 2023, again, estimated, when that hits, that is going to be a transformational year for Pharmacan. And you're absolutely right, Nick. Until then, you've got Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, and Maryland, uh, and Mass, to tide you over. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to like here. Uh, and again, it all depends what the valuation is when this finally comes public. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting one, you know, in, in your mind, you can create a whole lot of scenarios about what potential M&A activity they could pursue, whether that's, you know, additional private operators and in, in entering new states or adding, you know, more stores in existing states, perhaps like going to the max in Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, but thinking about adding, you know, New Jersey, eventually adding Florida, you know, teaming up with a a current public operator who's in a few states, there's a lot of like situations you can look at and see where they, they, they might fit in, in in terms of the growth profile. Yeah, it's a great point. There's a lot of room here on the M&A side. Uh, I would say what's also really interesting about this company is that uh, it's, you know, when you, when you meet with them, it kind of reminds me of Nick Vita from Columbia Care, which is that it's very corporate. This is a, like a real, you know, room full of adults, uh, you know, very buttoned up and, you know, there's good and bad to everything, right? And I think the bad of that is, you know, are, like similar to Nick, maybe they might have trouble exciting the retail investor, you know, if they speak too much at the corporate level. However, I think that type of personality is very attractive to the institutional investors and the, you know, kind of more corporate investors and strategic partners like the Altrias of the world who will come around. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I think, they were one of the companies we, we had you know the pleasure of meeting with dur- during your trip here. Um, you know, it, it definitely came across as just a different approach than others. Like they aren't you know super keen on just going giant in every state and right. you know, maximizing the footprint today. At you know potentially you know if it threatens being too big in the future, they're mm-hmm. very like methodical about their growth profile. Um, you know, I think they have a good sense of kind of interesting brands and even skew factors. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, teaming up with Kronos who, you know, kind of followed a similar pattern in Canada of, of not going big on the grows and, you Mm -hmm. know, we don't know how, where it'll go, but they're, you know, going heavy on the biosynthesis and kind of more just end use products. Um, I can see why that match was made. Yeah. And I think, look, I mean, in terms of what I'd like to see out of Pharmacan, I still need to see them ramp up on the like the cultivation side, which is most of the work ahead. Uh, we need to see that top quality flower brand, right? So Matter is their brand. They're doing really cool stuff on the uh, on the product innovation side. Like they they actually have a Delta Eight vape. You know, before Delta Eight became a dirty word in the industry, uh, they they put out this Rasmataz vape, uh, which I got to try, which I thought was awesome. It was it was a really mellow experience because of the mix of D eight and D nine, uh, but you know, the flower, they need to step up their game and they need to be able to put out that top quality flower, right? And, you know, look, first year in New York, second year in New York, it's not going to matter, but it will matter quickly over time. So that could even be something from an acquisition standpoint. Maybe we see them roll up, you know, uh, an operator who can bring that extra edge in terms of growing. I, I think that would be a positive development. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree there. And, you know, obviously we can't, talk any specific numbers, but yeah, definitely, you know, heavily retail oriented today. And the grow is probably the big question mark. Um, It's probably why we have them a little bit further 
down this list, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot, there's definitely, you know, kind of what we discussed at the top of this part two is there's a little bit more to prove, you know, I think they do a good job on retail. They're a little less proven on, on the cultivation side. For sure. Um, and I, I definitely think you can make the critique and, you know, they admitted this themselves is that, you know, at a time when they had Illinois, Pennsylvania and New York, uh, they kind of put a lot of their, uh, faith into New York and didn't right. prioritize Illinois and Pennsylvania in the same way. Um, and it's hard to, you know, no one has a crystal ball, like looking, if you go back to 20, you know, 18, 19, it's hard to predict which of those three States would have turned first um, and betting on New York, you know, the, the you know, arguably the, the biggest state of the, the three um, and the most liberal did it, but perhaps it'll create a little, you know, not, not only does it hold back the numbers today, it just, you know, makes you a little bit kind of questioning their capital allocation decisions. Mm-hmm. And then when you add on the fact that they teamed up with MedMen, <laughs> you can certainly question their, you know, decision-making. Granted, it's a it's a new operational team now. Yeah, new team. And also, look, I, I give them a lot of credit for saying, look, we had a limited amount of resources. We had to pick Illinois uh, or New York, and we picked New York. And if you look at... Um, if you look at you know the other operators like we've talked about like the GTI and the Crescos, they picked Illinois and they went big in Illinois and they don't have big operations in New York now. GTI is building that out. Cresco still has to build that out. I mean, they both have to build it out. So Pharmacan will have a clear head start in New York. The question is, you know, when does it turn wreck? What happens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you you know, it all comes down again to the valuation. At a billion dollars, this is extremely attractive. And I, I think this can be a two and a half to three billion dollar company pretty easily once New York flips. And that's probably conservative. They're probably going to be a lot of juice to be squeezed out of this footprint. Uh, you know, they have to execute. Uh, you know, at, at two billion dollars at the same price as the other companies, it's less interesting. But at a billion dollars or even a little bit higher than that, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so certainly one to keep an eye on for, and I agree. I think that you know going public is is probably in the new f- future. We haven't heard anything definitive, but it's hard to imagine a, a company of this size and scale not not wanting to go down that route. Yeah, and to your point, there's still some really nice tuck-ins here for acquisition. Uh, I think Arizona, New Jersey, and Florida are kind of the obvious ones, um, and who knows? Maybe they'll surprise us and and have some less obvious ones with like a California or a Colorado uh, or a Michigan. Uh, and and the beauty of those states, though, is they could probably kind of have their pick of the litter and decide on, you know, really the best operators. And I think bringing that adult use uh, indoor quality grow experience on the really high end, I think that would be really beneficial at this footprint. Yeah, to- totally agree there. All right, moving on. All right, next on the list. Lucky number five, we have Vireo, also known as goodness, green growth, something, uh, <laughs> some kind of name that reminds me of a salad. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I still call it Vireo, but I'm old school like that. Yeah, honestly, the change has been just confusing to me. So I, I still have it listed as Vireo. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, what's funny, too, is, you know, we'll talk about this, but I actually like the name Vireo. Like it kind of stood out and it was a unique name. Yeah. I mean, they explained like the reason why they changed it. And I was kind of just like, eh, like, I'm not sure if I get it. And maybe that's just me being stubborn, but I did like the old name. I feel like yeah, we're- any combination like green and good is just, it seems like stereotypical, like cannabis wellness. And totally. it just kind of, you know, is not memorable. 
That sounds like green growth brands. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which is not what you want people to think about, right? No, no not at all. <laughs> but look, the thing is, I think this company has been a little stuck in terms of, you know, from a stock perspective. And I think the growth is ahead of it, right? Like it, it doesn't have an obvious driver super short term. So I think Kyle wanted to shuffle the cards and change things around a little bit. And a name change is part of the way they did that. Um, and, and, you know, they also did this, you know, kind of, that was also an effort to break out the different parts of the business, you know, the psychedelic part, the uh, ancillary part, uh, but just, just kind of give it a clean slate. And unfortunately, from a stock perspective, it didn't really seem to work. Uh, but that's okay. I, I think this is a super, super interesting opportunity because of how tiny the market cap is. I mean, you've got 155 million shares outstanding. You're roughly a dollar eighty US a share today. That's a three hundred million dollar market cap. There's like you know seventeen ish million of debt. Uh, there's more cash than that, but they need the cash. So call it three hundred million of of market cap. Uh, that is tiny in this industry. And that's where this gets really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this one stands out in particular just because of the footprint. You know, I think there's features here that you just don't see elsewhere. So when you look at their markets and you see Minnesota and New Mexico, you're, you know, as an accountant investor, you're, you're like, what are these? You know, <laughs> I have no idea what this is and what it means. Um, even though you dig into it, it's actually kind of a extremely unique opportunity. And then for on top of all of that, for a company, you know, like you said, value just below 300 million, they have a New York license. Right. Um, so that combination, just those three states, you know, makes for a really op interesting opportunity. Like Minnesota, one of two licenses in the whole state, not a super attractive market today. Um, but they're allowed to go up to eight stores and, you know, being one in, of two operators of a state of. I think it's like five or six million. Yeah, um, that's huge upside ahead. New Mexico, four stores today, but licenses for six. Um, in addition to a grow, just voted adult use. Yeah, um, and they're you know one of the only operators there. New York obviously flipped to, to adult use, more of a twenty twenty three story. So huge, huge opportunity ahead that perhaps yep. is not just apparent to the average investor today. And four stores already open. Exactly. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah. And then, sorry, I, I think we left out here too. Maryland could be really, really... In I think Maryland is actually, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the story short term, uh, where they have a grow, which is... Uh, they, they've got like a 75,000 foot greenhouse coming online by the end of the year. And then they, they have a, a dispensary and they just acquired another one for 8 million bucks. And then lastly, you know, we forget, but they have one Arizona... Uh, dispensary and you know dispensaries where you want to be in Arizona and they have plans to build out a uh, hybrid greenhouse facility for cultivation in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you look at that, you know, perhaps Arizona and Maryland will kind of be like the big drivers now um, with, with Minnesota contributing uh, some mostly just because they have eight stores, but also because the the program just did add uh, flour to it. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a, a good development in terms of its progress. Um, but then, yeah, mm -hmm. those optional or not optional, but those tran transformational uh, evolutions in, in future markets is really what makes this story attractive. Yeah. So, look, this is a real value play, right, where you're going to wait around, wait around, and then and then there's something that's going to happen. And, and the something is either scaling the business or it's acquisition. So this is a clear acquisition target. 
you know, going back to the New York, you know, we've talked about Maryland and Pennsylvania and how, you know, companies like AYR and Ascend are going to want to bolt on in those states. Well, the good news is there's a good amount of private operators that you can bolt on in those states. However, New York, you know, you want a vertical license and there's only 10 of those licenses available. They're basically all spoken for. The only real options you can get are Etienne, right, which is the female run um, uh, organization. I bet you that's a 200 plus million dollar deal. And I think only really Kim Rivers could pull off that acquisition. Like, I think it would be very difficult to, to actually get that license, you know, unless they want to give up this this idea of being, you know, women led. Uh, the other one is Vireo, just given the, the small market cap. And then beyond that, you know, maybe because MedMen and Ianthus, or sorry, MedMen's already gone now, right? So there's there's nothing else really left to get, uh, you know, unless you want to try to merge with Pharmacan or something. So Vireo is really the direct path to New York. And to your point, Nick, it, it, you get Minnesota, which so far has not been that interesting. You know, it's like a t- the 30,000 patient market. But it's a duopoly. There's only two operators and flowers coming on next year, which should really ramp the program up. So that makes it really uh, interesting from a footprint standpoint. Also, since Minnesota, I mean, no one has that, right? Like that, it it fits with every footprint. Arizona, unfortunately, I think they have uh, what somebody said is probably the worst dispensary in the state, uh, which is not true. But it, it's it's a kind of a 1.0 location in a really industrial area. Uh, I don't even think the grow is that great of an asset in Arizona, honestly, just given that there's going to be too much cultivation over time there and not enough retail. Uh, and New Mexico is somewhat interesting. So to me, Maryland is the short-term opportunity. Uh, like for 22, we're talking Maryland and Minnesota. And then beyond that, we're talking New York. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to look at it. And, you know, I think it's a reason why we have it slightly down the further down the list is if M&A can't work out for whatever reason, you know, you have to think about how can this company do on its own? Um, you know, as we sit today, you know, I think working with the balance sheet that they do is kind of in a constant struggle that they have mm. because, you know, the states that they have today are not money makers. They're not super profitable. Um, so they always are, you know, burning a little money. So, you know, we saw that with their Pennsylvania cultivation sale, um, which is, a, you know, I think was one of their better assets, but they knew they could get a fantastic price for it um, and, and influx capital into into the business for the other markets to grow out. Um, so yeah. I think, you know, the slight risk is, you know, do you trust this operator to do well on their own, regardless if, of like M&A actually going through? And that's perhaps a bit more of a question mark just because, you know, the operations today, revenue, if we're, you know, dive into the numbers a little bit, Q1, with that, if you exclude the uh, Pennsylvania business, was like 11.5 million, jumped up to just over 13 million in Q1. Mm-hmm. Margins were stable right around 42.7%. Mm-hmm. Adjusted EBITDA just slightly negative, that negative 1.8 million. Um, and cat still um, negative on the operational cash flow side. So burned ten million in twenty twenty as a whole. Uh, spent another eight and a half million on uh, PP and E, and then mm-hmm. burned uh, five million here in Q one, along with just under five million in PPE. So you know, not huge numbers, but when you have a balance sheet with uh, Q one, they finished forty million cash and mm-hmm. just under twenty million debt. It does create you know. 
at least some concerns that, you know, even though they have New York, if they don't get that acquisition, are they going to have enough capital and have enough operational expertise to actually take advantage of the asset? That, that's definitely another question and, and a reason why the, the stock trades at such a low valuation today. But that's also, you know, the opportunity. Yeah. And the answer to that question, can they execute? Do they have the capital is no. <laughs> like, like, the, the, yeah. like, look, no disrespect to the company, but uh, look, they did a, a good job getting here. But ultimately, this company has been left behind. So from an M&A perspective, they've gone backwards. Like they gave up Pennsylvania, the Pam's asset that Jushi bought for a song. That's a deal that everyone looks at and says, man, I wish I did that deal. I wish I got to buy that. So and I don't look, I'm not knocking them for it because ultimately they needed capital. But, uh, you know, PA should have been a place where they were able to make money. For sure. Right. That should have been their driver of revenue and, and EBITDA. So that's why I'm saying this is a real value story. You know, M&A is on the table. Like you look at this gets back to, you know, when I got really excited about Florida and, and went hard at the smaller operators in Florida, you look at the dynamic where you have two available licenses, maybe the Iantis license is up for grabs, but who knows? Uh, let's say you have three available licenses. Who needs to be in New York and who wants that vertical license? Trulieve, AYR, uh, Parallel. Verano. Verano, right? So uh, Jushi. So you just go down the list. There's at least five, six MSOs who would love to have that license. So they would pay, TerraSend, they would pay to get that license. The question is, how much will people pay? And that's where it gets a little trickier on Vireo because today the valuation is 300. You can't buy it for 300, right? You got to offer a premium above and beyond that. So that's where the question comes in of how much premium can shareholders get out of this. And I don't think you're going to get much more than 450 million. And so if I take 450 and divide that by 155 out, you get about, you know, just under $3 US. So I think something like, 275-ish. And again, I'm spitballing here. This is kind of the high watermark. And on today's price of 180, that's like a 50% return. Like that's not that crazy uh, for, you know, compared to the other opportunities that we're looking at. The flip side of it is if Vireo proves everybody wrong and they execute and they actually hit their guidance for next year, which is 160 million top line, which by the way, is not going to happen. <laughs> like, at all. And I'll tell you why. They assume that New York goes adult use back half of the year, which uh, I mean, good luck. Like maybe it'll happen, but if it does, like I just doubt it. Uh, so that's how they got to that number um, at, at 25 to 30% EBITDA. So this company is going to be kind of stuck in the mud unless something changes drastically. Like unless Maryland starts spitting out cash or unless like something interesting happens, I think they're kind of you know, one step forward, one step back until, you know, New York turns on. Yeah, no, I totally agree there. And I think that's spot on in terms of, you know, I think we, we've even heard from various kind of providers in, in the industry, whether it be mm -hmm. on like the tech side or, you know, various like platforms that these MSOs use. Um, I kind of frequently hear just pretty, you know, sniding critiques of, uh, the operations at Vireo and just kind of wondering what they're doing. So I think your, you know, your thoughts that it's hard to place a ton of faith in these guys just executing on their own is probably valid. And it really is an M&A 
uh, kind of investment hope that, that you got to have. Yeah. I mean, look, and, and look, I want to give them some credit here because they've, they've done a good job getting to this uh, point and getting the licenses and all that. But, you know, it's it's they need something else to get to the next level. And part of it is just the nature of the footprint and where they are today. Right. That PA grow, that was their ticket. Right now, maybe the Maryland grow will be their ticket. But that being said, like, look, let's go back to the numbers that, that you were going through, Nick. Like Q1, they went up, what, by 2 million, 3 million? Yeah, just under two. Right. Remember what happened in Q1? Arizona went wreck. Right. They've got a dispensary in Arizona, in a metropolitan area. Now, it's a crap location. But remember what happened to Harvest? That has, a again, like a giant operation in Arizona. But that that huge 30% quarter over quarter growth. Well, I mean, actually, to be fair to Virio, maybe because the revenue is so small, maybe that actually is a huge sequential growth. Yeah, it's a, what is it, 20% or something? Yeah, okay, look, they're fair yeah, enough. Either way, not, not a ton of improvement. And, and like you said, you know, adjusted EBITDA actually went down Q4 to mm-hmm. Q1. OPEX jumped more than, OPEX jumped two point. 2 million when revenue mm-hmm. jumped 1.7. So, you know, it definitely wasn't like a notable improvement of a, of a quarter. Um, exactly. It wasn't transformational the way it was for cash flow is still negative. Um, right. Not spending a ton reinvesting into the business. Balance sheet concerns remain. Um, yeah. I mean, to your point, 5 million of cash burn plus another five of CapEx, they only have 40 million on the balance sheet. Now they have access to capital. They can, they can, you know, they have a, more debt they can draw or whatever. But like New York, you're talking about going like a hundred thousand feet, like plus, right? Like that's that's gonna be thirty, fifty million dollars. Right. So like if you're building hundred and fifty thousand feet, for example, that's three hundred a foot. That's that's forty five million. These are big numbers we're throwing around here. Like this is not playtime. And I think that what what the conclusion they're gonna come to is like, look, let's find a way to make one plus one equal three. And yes, we would love to do this on our own, but realistically, like we're going to dilute ourselves or put ourselves in a really tough sale leaseback situation to get that capital. So look, if we merge into a Verano whose stock is trading, you know, at what, nine times or eight times next year's EBITDA, we get phenomenal access to capital and one of the best operators in the industry full stop to help us build out our footprint. Right. I mean, that that to me is so much better of an outcome um, than Virio trying to go it alone, because like even if they go it alone and they unlock this value on their own and this becomes a two dollar and 50 cent stock, then when someone goes to buy you, they're, they're still only going to give you like a, a some small pre- like even if they even if you get more from them. If the other guys, if their stock has appreciated considerably in the year it takes you to get there you're still getting less upside as a shareholder and, and you know, as Kyle, the owner, right? Like you have to look at not only what you sell for, but you have to look at the, the paper that you're taking. And right now, other people's paper is cheap. So you're going to get more upside in the long run together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you hope they see the the light, if you want to call it that, in terms of what, you know, they need to do to take it to the to the next level. And that's, you know, what you're hoping for in, in an investment like this. This guidance is a problem. This guidance is going to have to get revised down big time when New York does. I saw I saw consensus at 120 million revenue. So yeah, well, you know, well short of what they're having. 
Now, that being said, maybe by second half of 22, you're like, yeah, sorry, it didn't hit. But guess what? It's it's coming in six months. And then it's closer. And like, so the, I'll give you the flip side of the argument um, to Kyle's credit, which is that like, there's a lot of blue sky on this opportunity. Like if you, if somehow these guys figure this out, like this could, you think about Pharmacan, right? And their position in New York, this could be like a billion plus dollar company like just based on New York, Minnesota, Maryland, like those, and you know, New Mexico being the adult use driver. But if they figure this stuff out and capital is not a problem and you know, I'm wrong on all these things, this could be a multi-bagger opportunity um, with just the stuff they're sitting on. And and that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, big if certainly. Um, But yeah, I mean, someone could sail and lease back their New York facility and give them, you know, enough to build out a substantial facility there. And, you know, they could do 250 million revenue out of that. <laughs> yep, that's that's true. But again, you know, you, that's a huge grow. That's going to be, you know, these big grows are not easy to run. Like they're, they're very challenging. And like we have not seen that level of execution from Virio. Now, part of it, to their credit, is just because, you know, their markets haven't been there, right? But again, let's go back to Pennsylvania, why were they not able to do well with a grow in PA? Mm-hmm. Right? When when PA is going gangbusters last year and it was spitting out, like we've looked at operators that are doing 40% EBITDA margins in PA, just the grow, right? And Virio wasn't able to, you know, make money on that. Like that's a problem. Yeah. No, I think that's totally a realistic critique and, you know, something that they're going to have to carry forward. So the good thing is, I think you're trading close to kind of salvage value here. Like if it gets too much cheaper, like I I don't know, like how somebody could do it, but maybe there's like even a hostile takeover situation or something, but I don't think that's possible. I'm just putting it out there. But, you know, 300 million feels like how much somebody would pay literally to get into New York. So, you know, all the stuff you're getting here, this is really a value story. Uh, You know, if they execute, there's a lot of blue sky up top. But if they don't, you're you're kind of just stuck in the mud until you know 2023 or until uh, somebody comes and buys it. So I don't know. It's a, it, it's definitely interesting. But you know, as you can tell, and I own a lot of the stock, by the way, to be clear. Uh, so nothing against the company, but I just try to call it like I see it. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that you know if New York legislation evolves and it's favorable, this is such a small market cap stock, it doesn't take much to move it. Um, so even as a trading vehicle, like it, it does present an interesting opportunity. That's a very fair point. Anyone who start, if people start paying attention to the industry again, this thing could really run because people get a, could get excited about it. So it can be very volatile. And I think the volatility on this one will be to the upside. And as it, like if it goes down below here, like even at this price today, I think there's a lot of really good value here. Again, you know, you just have to decide, is it the best thing for you to buy today? And that depends on what's going on today. Yep. I think that's fair. All right. Moving on. Number six is Jushi. Um, now, I'm actually not as up to speed on Jushi. So, Nick, maybe you can give people a little overview. Sure. You know, I think that this is an interesting one. And, you know, I, I probably have it kind of neck and neck and with Vareo in terms of the opportunity. And it's, you know, I will I will give them credit. Jushi is, a, is an operator. Similarly, it's put together kind of a, a number of uh, – kind of good state markets and have been very strategic in their M&A activity. And uh, I actually know um, they do have some 
pretty old experience going back to like the early Colorado days um, on the retail side. So it's a pretty oh, I didn't know that. mix of just old school cannabis experience um, along with uh, good financial acumen and financial executives that they, they brought in later. Um, and I will say, you know, very different than Vareo. These guys are, you know, from everything you see, very professional, very sound operators, even down to kind of the presentations mm-hmm. they put forward. Um, are always, you know, just very impressive and, and thoughtful and well put together. Um, I think it, why it, you know, is perhaps further down the list on uh, on our list here is uh, one, it's been appropriately valued over over time. It has come down quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's you know earned a valuation uh, at a pretty good multiple, even you know compared to some of the bigger names. Um, and then two, I would say the. Um, the growth story ahead is slightly less unclear um, in, in some of their markets, which could give you pause as to, you know, what, what kind of are those next steps that really drive the opportunity. Um, so, so as we dig into it, currently a seven state footprint. Um, California, they have two stores active, two to go. Um, and while, well, you know, normally I would just kind of brush that aside as not huge opportunities, uh, they do go down the route of applications in California of targeting uh, limited licensed cities within uh, the state. So even though it's a competitive mm-hmm. state, uh, like three or four of their licenses, one Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, there's only three for the whole city. They got one Grover Beach, one of four and Culver City, one of three. Um, so strategic approach to Cali. Looking at Nevada, they have a grow processing license. You can kind of write off the state. It's a, it's like a seven and a seven thousand square foot facility. Mm-hmm. Um, in a and sorry, and sorry, going back to California there. Um, so as you mentioned, like you know, been pretty smart about the the things they've picked up. Uh, similar to you know, we know we GTI has two licenses and limited license uh, markets for retail. I bet you this is a big area that that goes for M and A for them next. So similar to what we saw Columbia Care do with doing like, you know, super attractive, like five, six times EBITDA multiple deals. This is where I think Jushi goes hunting for a deal next. Mm-hmm. And you would think given, you know, they do have experience in, in a market like Colorado that they're not, you know, scared, not scared of, but I mean, you know, they're certainly willing to enter some of these, you know, higher competition markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, you, uh, you can keep going there. So, so yeah, working down Nevada, just the grow Illinois, four stores today, all open. Um, and this one speaks to kind of what I was discussing earlier in terms of what it looks like today and what the future opportunity is. These are, you know, four really strong stores, similar to Ascend. They have two of them downstate. I don't think as good of locations or, or buildings, but um well-located stores there and then two kind of in the middle of the state, um, but no grow and they haven't, you know, added to their position in a little while now, um, which has always been, you know, a little concerning. Um, but those four stores, you could make the argument that they're probably doing the best they can right now. Um, and the state's just going to add more stores. And if you don't have that grow, it does make it challenging in terms of, you know, what those stores do long in the long term. Like number one, you're not going to be vertical, but number two, there's just going to be more competition. Um, so just a thing to keep an eye out for is those, that Illinois footprint is widely maxed out unless they add to it through M&A, which is certainly possible. 
Well, and let, let me give you a little color there. So when I was uh, in Illinois, I drove downstate and I saw the two stores in Sajay. So those are the two uh, Beyond Hello Juicy stores. And so I give them credit, like really interesting location choices. Like I think they, I think they did a good job. Uh, one of them is located like right across uh, from, from St. Louis basically. And it's located in like a really like kind of in like nasty industrial area, but it's literally like next to a strip club. And it's, it's clearly, uh, it's clearly a nightlife entertainment area where it has like this old school industrial zoning. That's really lax. So it's like a go-karting place next door. And there's like, like maybe, I don't know if it's like another strip club across the street or like a big bar. Uh, but clearly like that is a destination and clearly that store does really well. I mean, it's not the most beautiful area, but you know, it, it, it does what it needs to do. One thing I, I found that was really interesting, Nick, is, you know, the prices in Illinois in general are egregious, right? Like crazy high. The Sajay stores for Jushi, unbelievably high. Like we're talking a $60 eighth is like $75 pre-tax. I saw an ozone eighth selling for a hundred dollars pre-tax. Like it was like almost criminal how much they were charging people. And, but I will say like, kudos to them. They managed to put them in areas where they are capturing uh, demand, which is, you know, people are obviously willing to pay the freight. The other thing is the second location is uh, next to this like massive baseball uh, diamond which is not, it must be like a regional team because it's kind of like a small town feel to it. And yet, you know, that that baseball diamond is clearly the draw and the store is next to it. And it's like massive, like 10 registers, 12 registers. And I was in there when there was no game. So it was like empty. Uh, but again, really high prices. And I think they make an absolute killing on game day. So I give them a lot of credit on retail and, and the execution of the stores. Uh, to your point, Nick, the the negative there was no M and A on Illinois this whole time. You know why didn't they buy those two stores that AYR bought? And they haven't bought a grow, right? Which should have you would assume that's their top priority to do. So that's kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they you know made some good strategic acquisitions during the time, but that seemed like a natural fit. And you know now prices are just way higher than they were mm-hmm. when they had opportunity before, and when you know, getting vertical in that state was pretty obvious, you know, I thought for, for a while now. Uh, and I bet you, you know, I shouted this out last time um, when I felt the stock was overvalued. Uh, now it's a lot more interesting, honestly, and, and these guys are good operators. But one of the problems that I, I pointed out was, look, when your stock is overvalued and you're doing, you know, that's fine for retail investors. It's maybe even fine for raising money. But when you want to do M&A, people don't want overpriced stock. People want cheap stock. So that's why a Columbia Care, you know, when people really take the time to understand it and think about it, it's a lot easier for them to do MA with their stock because their currency is cheap. Same with AYR. I think that's harder for Jushi. And then the double whammy is when you have a, a, a smaller absolute market cap, like, you know, one, 1.2 billion, it's hard to do large MA. So, like, are you really going to, you know, pay 200 million to get a grow? In Illinois, that's like twenty percent of your company you're giving up. So I think that's part of the struggle. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, if 
if we keep working down uh, their state list next, mm-hmm. uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, two, two stores open today in, in a grow. Um, I know the grow is, I think it's a 50 K, uh, building 20,000 canopy and that's going up to 31,000 canopy, um, actively. So, so decent, you know, mm-hmm. decent opportunity there, like everyone else in Massachusetts. And I think this is acquisition, right? They announced this not that long ago and this yeah. is like, they're buying it at like six times EBITDA or something. Yep. Yeah. And so they, yeah. So, so those, um, keep working down they have ohio and and yeah sorry just to jump in there one thing i really do like about these guys they've done a phenomenal job on ir like you got to give them credit for their ability to engage people and and get their name out there and like even when they announced this mass deal you know it was kind of like okay whatever but then they put out a great little video that just summarized it really nicely showed the asset and and just just kind of made you feel good about the deal and and i think that was really well done and I, i give them a lot of credit for that yeah. Yeah. If anyone goes onto their website, they have tons of just very informative videos like that, where they go, you know, to specifically where the asset is, what it looks like, where it is today, what the opportunity is going forward. And yeah, like you said, very thoughtful. Okay. What do we have left? PA? Um, yeah. So, so small, they, they added a, 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 one of the smaller tier grows in Ohio pretty recently. Right. They don't have any retail mm-hmm. there, but uh-huh. um, worth knowing it is one of the smaller tier grows, which means you can do 3000 canopy initially, and then you can uh, request uh, increases up to 6,000 and then up to 9,000, which is the max. So Got it. smaller opportunity there, not, not big. Pennsylvania is, is, is definitely then the arguably the, the biggest opportunity currently and still somewhat going forward. Um, they're at 13 stores today. They have five more to go. Um, and then they have the grow as well. And, and on the grow side, they're, they're currently at 89,000 square feet, uh, the building. Um, it's going up to 190,000 square feet. Wow. Um, with, with 110 of that being canopy. Um, so clearly, you know, I, I do give them credit. They're making a smart decision here. You know, if you have 18 stores in one of the better markets going big on the canopy, um, was a, was a smart decision. And, you know, perhaps that's why they weren't able to, you know, complete some of the M&A like in Illinois, for example, in right. the States. But um, that, that PA asset is definitely the, the crown jewel. Uh, and that grow, the Pam's grow, is the one they bought from Vireo. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. And you could argue they got that for a really good price. They they yeah. stole that thing. Yeah, I think it was what was it twenty or thirty million something like that. I forget things. Yeah, I, and I can't I can't even remember now. And and look, that was a different time where capital was tighter. Um, but you know that to your point, Pennsylvania for Jushi, this is the driver, right? Like thirteen stores with five more coming. And, uh, you know, a big facility expanding to a, you know, almost 200,000 feet with 110 of canopy. Like that is a big, big driver for these guys. Yeah, definitely. And then just the last one real quick that I left off is obviously, I think the, perhaps the most interesting one in terms of that, you know, growth down the line, a couple of years, mm-hmm. Virginia, uh, where, where they have one of the current four licenses and, they have it in that uh, it's the smallest geographic se- section. Like it, Virginia is divided into five regions, um, but it's also the most highly populated region. Um, right. So they they'll have a you know a dominant control of that area. And Virginia obviously will take some time to develop, but that 
that arguably is their, you know, major opportunity in the future while, you know, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts is the story today. Yeah. And I give these guys a lot of credit because they were the first person, uh, first group I ever heard talking about Virginia. And, uh, you know, they, they were absolutely right. I mean, this is a phenomenal market to be in. They're in the right spot. You know, unfortunately for them, it's going to take time to ramp. So it's not a 21 or even a 22 story. It's really, you know, the med program in 23 will probably be firing on all cylinders. And 24 is where, you know, you hit adult use and it gets really, really exciting. Uh, so there, there, look, there is, you know, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow here. Uh, PA alone is super exciting. So when I look at this footprint, what I see is Virginia, PA, you know, Illinois kind of, right? The four stores, if they can get vertical there, then it gets, you get more excited about Illinois. And then the mass and, and the addition of mass is just nice M&A. The negative I'll tell you is that with mass, like mass and Ohio are the two biggest points of overlap. So to me, I was kind of getting excited that this could even be like, a potential merger partner for Ascend because you can stick, you know, you can take those two stores in Sage for Illinois. You can take Virginia, you can take PA, um, you know, you get California too, but n- now you have mass and Ohio overlap. So, you know, that's not going to work anymore. So unfortunately I think Jushi's kind of in a position now where there's probably not a good large scale M and a that can happen. And now they have to go the other way and be the acquirer and ramp up to try to be like an ascender and heir, uh, which is, you know, not that easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that sentiment. And, you know, I think they've shown they're, they're certainly better than a Varela. I mean, granted, that's a, it's a low bar, but they're, you know, pretty decent on the operational side and, you know, to their credit in Q1, they were one of these companies that was able to raise, you know, pretty big numbers. Yeah. Uh, they finished Q1 with 168 million cash. Yeah, uh, relative yep, yep, to eighty-two yep. million in debt. Um, so that is a you know a very sound balance sheet, not only to develop their current assets, but to pursue some M and A. And you know, I think Florida or you know Maryland, kind of the usual states we talk about, New York, perhaps New Jersey. The, those are kind of the obvious targets, but you know, very expensive targets. Uh, yeah, the, very- good luck getting into them, though, right? Like you have a still a pretty richly valued stock, and you know you got a good great cash balance, like for sure. Um, but what are you going to use the cash on? Like, like, you know, it, it seems like one off deals or absorbing a small MSO is the way to go for these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I, I want to be clear. I don't know the story that well. Uh, and from what I've seen, I do appreciate that they've been great on IR and they've been, they've been good operators, but again, we come down to valuation here now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got, you know, roughly 255 million shares fully diluted. Um, trades at finished today at like five eighteen. You know, puts it right at just over one point three billion. Um, when we look at their numbers, Q four thirty two million jumped to forty two million in Q one. Mm-hmm. Q two they're projecting forty five to forty eight. You know, so okay growth, not nothing spectacular, and that's with uh, four to six million adjusted EBITDA. And then for twenty twenty one as a whole, they got have guided to to pretty large range, but 205 to 255 million. Uh, right. What was their, cons- their, their projections and that lines fairly up with consensus with about 44 million in EBITDA. And then looking out at 2022 uh, consensus was closer, you know, it was a pretty big range, but close to around 400 million revenue and about 125 million EBITDA. Um, so on 2022, I got 
you know, roughly three, you know, just under three and a half times revenue and uh, just about 10 times EBITDA on 2022. Um, so definitely, a, you know, I think you see why it's a little bit further down our list, a, a bit more expensive than the Airs and the Ascents and the Columbia Cares of the world. Um, just because I think, you know, people see that the future growth story isn't quite as clear with, you know, Illinois mm-hmm. being mostly maxed out, um, you know, with M&A a little bit un- unclear and, you know, with most of the opportunity being essentially just Pennsylvania today. And, you know, when uh, Virginia eventually comes down the line, that's a slower story. Right now, if if Pennsylvania somewhere along along the line flips to adult use, that's what becomes like the huge catalyst for these guys, right? Because it's just such such concentrated exposure to PA. If Virginia speeds up their legalization, which is possible, uh, that would be really positive for them. If they're able to go deeper in Illinois, that would be really positive for them. Uh, so there's definitely levers here you can pull on. I will say though, at today's valuation of 1.35 million, this is just not interesting enough for me. Uh, and you know, I, I think it, Again, it, it's to me, it's we're identifying interesting companies, but it's all about dollars and cents, and it's got to make sense. And uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, if you say 125 million of EBITDA next year, once we layer on, uh, you know, Virginia and you know just just growth in the footprint, maybe you can say it's going to get up to 200 million of EBITDA. That's probably we're talking more like 24 than 23. But even then, like you're still trading more expensive at today's valuation, not counting all the dilution they would have to do. You're still more expensive than air and ascend. So, I mean, I think, I think like kudos to the IR and the ability to, you know, speak to investors and and get love. Um, But I don't think people are taking into account this fully diluted share count because they've got, you know, these, all these warrants um, on the, on the company. Right. So, that to me is the big thing I have issue with here. And also like when you look at when we talk about like an error and ascend, we're like with the, with the error and ascend, for example, you get it, you're getting New Jersey. And so it's a matter of, yes, you have to execute, you have to go, you know, open up, open the assets and, and execute on them. Um, but you know, with, with Jushi, you have to go buy the assets and then execute. So it's like, you got to dilute yourself. You got to have the capital, you got to get the deals and then you got to execute on it. So it just adds a uh, exponent of complexity that uh, I don't want to pay for. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think it's a a good company, you know, good operator, smart M and A activity to to the best of their ability. But from a relative standpoint, it, it it's just not as attractive as others. I also find it really funny, like on the last page or the second last page, it says like Jushi, Boca Raton, Denver, New York City. So you don't have operations in any of those three states. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Yeah, it's a little misleading. <laughs> like what is that? I hate that. I really, really hate that. And the reason is they have a star and they they have um, – it's like a uh, juicy office location in those three places. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like why are your three offices in states that you're not even in? Yeah, yeah. And why are you highlighting it? Yeah, I mean, we know why you're highlighting it, and that's part of the reason I don't want to pay for it. Because like, people who don't know what they're doing are bidding this thing up. Yeah. I mean, in New York, hilariously, is highlighted as a state that they have active, in progress operations in. I'm guessing they have a hemp license in New York. I'm guessing that's why they did that. But uh, yeah, like when you compare these. 
to that upper echelon of air ascend in Columbia care, uh, I think the differential is is pretty clear in terms of where the value is today. Now the question becomes, Nick, at what number, at what valuation does this become interesting to you? And where does it become like, hey, yeah, this is kind of compelling? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, probably if it floats, you know, closer down to 1.1 or 1.2 billion, you know, marginally becomes, you could probably, you know, say, hey, I appreciate the story here and, you know, the quality of the operations, at least so far, like at least, you know, you're getting a, a professional operator. Um, and perhaps if it drops a little, that it becomes more attractive for M&A opportunities as well. I would say uh, it's got to be a billion or under. For me to be seriously interested, but again, like I'm, you know, I could say I'm being too harsh, but maybe I am. I don't know. Uh, but that's where I would give it a hard look. Uh, or if they pull off some of that M and A, which I'm sure they're working on. Like these guys are smart M and A guys. I'm sure there's something cooking uh, that that you know we just don't see. Uh, but I'm not going to give them credit for it today. I got to see it. Yep. So yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, okay, the last one. Here we go. Uh, last and uh, I guess least is what we're saying. <laughs> but <laughs> the last one is Cansortium. Uh, and super interesting company. I have been talking about this for, I think, over a year now. Uh, it is really one of the last two scaled Florida operations. And I would say in terms of comparability... This reminds me of Vireo, like very small market cap, uh, undeniable footprint that makes it attractive to people, but a lot to be desired and a lot to be proven in terms of execution going forward. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And it's funny just in our conversations, how frequently the name comes up and even in our talks with other private operators, always like, hey, have you thought about buying consortium? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, very frequently uh, we get the response of just like, it's a total mess Uh, (laughs) from who's operating it, who's representing it to even the, you know, the debt deal that they they recently uh, completed a lot of a lot of these companies, even though, like you said, the 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 states they're in are a perfect fit. Like a lot of people want Florida, obviously. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want scaled Florida, even more importantly. Yeah. And then and then you get to throw in a couple of stores, three stores in Pennsylvania, which is a nice little feature. Like especially if you're already in Pennsylvania, it's an yeah. easy way to add more retail and then yeah. you get this kind of you know oddity in in the Texas license, which you know is meaningless today, but perhaps it's worth something in the future. Uh, Look, Texas would be a massive differentiator for any big MSO, right? I mean, only Certera has it, right? Now, again, there's a price at which that last private operator will sell. So it's not infinitely valuable. I mean, how much How much is it? I mean, but sometimes you get one stubborn person left who just wants, you know, 300 million and it is what it is, right? So that's why I think similar to the Etienne license is not going to be cheap. Like they're going to want a pretty penny for it. Uh, but that Texas license is a really, really nice differentiator. It means almost nothing today, but uh, maybe it's two years, maybe it's four years. Texas will be a hell of a market one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting like option to have. Um, obviously, the state might issue more licenses and who, who knows the value then, but it's certainly, you know, second biggest state and having a foothold there, you know, mm-hmm. potential. We've seen what it means to get in early uh, and, and what benefit that has. 
Yes, absolutely. So, so let me give you the background on Cansortium because I know this story pretty well. Uh, and, and I got to give you know Robert Beasley, who's running the company. I got to give him, him some credit because he only joined more recently. Like I think he joined late last year, and they've been working pretty hard on cleaning this thing up. So, uh, look, thing has been a hot mess. Uh, it was one of the earliest. So the early round of licenses in Florida, uh, it was it was one of the original five, and it's fallen to the bottom of of its class essentially, right? You've seen. Uh, you've seen Altmed surpass it, right? You've so you've seen. I think Vitacan might have also been in the second class. Uh, I'm not sure. So, so the thing is getting left behind. Um, I found it really attractive last year at 40 cents because it was just trading so so cheap. But it was a bit of a mess in terms of uh, you know people wanting to acquire it or or whatever was going on. The board didn't want to sell that cheap. I don't know. I've heard all kinds of rumors and stories about it. But now. I actually think the debt deal was a great sign for the company. They raised like $72 million in debt. I tried to uh, participate in the debt deal, by the way, and they kind of like laughed me out of the room. Like it was so oversubscribed and, and big money was thrown at it. Uh, that was the first hint I got, by the way, that debt capital was becoming really available to these companies. Uh, and so, so the debt deal got done, re- cleaned up uh, all their, all their uh, converts that were hanging over their head. And that is a really, really positive thing for the company because that was a big issue. This is a company that has never had any money. And suddenly they refinance all their debt and they've got a big wad of cash to play with. So I got to give them the benefit, sorry, not the benefit of the doubt, but I got I to gotta at least say to their credit, they haven't had any money and now they have money. Yeah. I mean, that was arguably the biggest thing holding them back. And you, know, you can certainly... I mean, for a company of their quality, I wasn't expecting much better, but it, you know, it wasn't the most attractive facility. The thirteen percent interest isn't bad, you know, for a company like them. It did. Yep. There was a fairly large warrant component, um, you know, that's dilutive for for shareholders. But like you said, it was the number one thing holding them back. I think, uh, like it was a seventy-two million dollar deal, but I think they said, you know, after paying back the other debt, they'd have they're adding about forty million to the balance sheet, um, which is a good number, especially because mm. it seemed, you know, just based on the the numbers they're putting out of Florida, the number one they they thing they needed was just more cultivation and capacity overall to start totally their stores. Um, totally, and and I think I'm one of like four people who's ever actually been to their new grow, which is in. Uh, Zulfos, uh, they call it the Sweetwater Grow. Uh, so I actually went and saw that in December as it was being built out. So it was non-operational yet. Uh, so they are selling flour out of that that grow now. And they're selling it at like $68 an eighth, which is, uh, you know, we talked about last episode, the pricing competition in Florida, like unbelievable. Uh, but they're, it, it is apparently sold out. And the testing came back at 28% per, THC with 3% terps, which in Florida is phenomenal. That is really, really good for Florida. So I do give them credit. There is some good results coming out of that. We don't know how big it is though, right? We don't know how much is actually going to move the needle, but in a company this small, anything can move the needle. Yep. Yep. Totally agree there. And, you know, there's arguably a lot of just low hanging fruit in terms of just, you know, they had a pretty good retail footprint, but they clearly weren't optimizing their stores. So just, you know, keeping the stores filled was a pretty easy next step um, in terms of improving their numbers overall. Totally. So look, PA, they've got one open store. They say two more are coming this year. Uh, they, they've said that by the end of the year, they'll they'll be here. So again, let's see how they execute, right? This is 
This is their chance to show how they can get it done. Uh, 24 stores, they got another three coming, and they're also working on expanding their grows. So they've guided to $30 million of EBITDA this year. There's about 300 million shares outstanding. This is always a moving target, but uh, let's say 300, uh, 80 cents a share. You're getting roughly a $250 million market cap, add on $72 million, $75 million of debt. You get about $325 million of fully diluted value, right? So at a $30 million EBITDA, yeah, you're like 10 times, 11 times EBITDA, you know, not that attractive. It's it's okay. The reason it's it actually is is works is because two things. One, if they invest more money um in you know in the footprint, theoretically Florida could, you know, scale up next year and the EBITDA number could jump. But also second, for companies who need to be in Florida, right? Like and you know, you can go like down the list of like an ascend or like a terrascend or uh, a, uh, a pharmacan, this is a pretty good option, right? So it, for those companies, it's not about getting that six times EBITDA multiple like you do in, in mass. It's about being in the state. And if you're trading at a 10-ish t- on today's EBITDA, that's kind of good enough. Like you can, you can justify that uh, in terms of an acquisition because you look forward one or two years. Exactly. And there's clearly, you know, just how what we've seen from how M&A has occurred in the state, there's not a huge desire nowadays to just buy a paper license um, and, and try to develop it on your own. So yeah. even though the operations, you know, need work today, um, you know, they guided towards having 30 dispensaries by the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a great starting point for, for a lot of companies. And you, you could have a situation similar to Air in LHS where it's a, you know, you're paying a little bit higher than, you know, from a multiple perspective on, on the current run rate. Um, but when you think about, you know, what that business does with 50 or 100 million of new capital, then it becomes attractive. And then you see what the opportunity is. Yeah, exactly. And that's the exciting, like, that's why I like these strategic type of uh, footprints, because people need to buy them. Like, it just makes sense that people will buy Cansortium. Now, a couple things you start to think about. One is, at what price do they buy it? So again, we get into this issue of, okay, it's valuable, it's attractive, but how much juice is there uh, in this footprint? So let's let's think about it. Could you go up to a dollar? For the shares, so that'd be three hundred million plus seventy five. That'd be three seventy five. Yeah, I mean that's not too bad, right? You're thirteen times EBITDA, and let's say you can do fifty million of EBITDA next year. Like you know, you're eight times. That's that's pretty reasonable. So a dollar, yeah, that seems like it's in the strike zone. Can you get a buck twenty five? Well, a dollar twenty five would be. Oh, sorry, my calculator decided to freeze on me. A buck twenty five would be. Like three seventy five plus seventy five of debt, so that'd be like four fifty. Could you get that? I mean, that's starting to get to be a pretty big number in absolute terms, right? So, who can afford to pay four hundred and fifty million? Um, most guys can't. Like that's a that's a big number, right? So you kind of get to uh, maybe like a Terrasend could afford it because their their stock is so pumped up. Like you have a shorter list of who can and will pay. Uh, more than a buck for this stock, unless you know the the 
their equity appreciates, right? If Terrasense a four billion dollar company, then maybe they can afford to pay five hundred million for Cansortium, right? So that's kind of the the calculation you need to do with some of these things. Uh, but if they actually execute and you see the numbers pick up and you see the performance pick up and it gets more attractive, then it gets more interesting as a standalone opportunity. So it's it's kind of that same thing as Vireo, except there is lower hanging fruit here because you know you can improve on Florida today. You don't have to wait for anything to change. Right. Yeah. And you can see that in the numbers. Like as we've described, this is not a premier Florida operator, but mm-hmm. you know, their gross margins in, in in Q1 was 64% of revenue. Yeah. Um, which just shows, you know, Florida being fully vertical, it really is a unique opportunity. So, you know, even though it's not the best today, with with that new money coming in with mm-hmm. you know better scale. There is opportunity there to take advantage of what is a really good core market, and you know perhaps they can go build off that. Yeah, and look, I'll, I'll give you the uh, the other part, which is that from an M and A perspective, um, you know, if you've been paying attention to this company, you notice the board's been reshuffled, and that to me is like a green light in terms of like buyers come on in. Uh, and what's happened here behind the scenes, uh, and this is kind of this is one of these funny like hidden in plain sight things. Uh, Andy DeFrancesco of SOL Global, SOL has been buying this stock and it's been getting heavily involved. And and uh, Andy's Twitter is a great source of info, by the way. And he's been tweeting about it. He's been saying like, look, Cansortium, Cansortium, the board sucks. We got to change them. Um, and he's the one who affected this change. And and if you look at, you know, who he's added to the team, um, you know, he's brought in some of his own guys. Right. So I think this is ripe for acquisition. It could just be a quick buck. Like it could just be like a sale to maybe an operator who's not there. Maybe they could sell to a Columbia Care or to a Cresco who wants to go big and try to dominate the state, right? Like, remember, you can combine assets in Florida and then sell off the excess paper license. So that's something also to keep in mind that's really interesting. Uh, It could also be behind the scenes here that Andy is doing his own MSO. And I know people have, you know, very mixed emotions about SOL. Uh, you know, I've talked about the stock before. I don't own it today, but I would own it at the right price if the lawsuits got cleared up. I mean, these guys know how to operate and they know how to operate in Florida. And they did it with Liberty and they did it with Bluma. And uh, people don't give them credit for that. And I think they're wrong. So you could see some kind of mastermind operation here where Consortium gets rolled up into like a... Andy type of MSO, uh, and maybe I'm giving them too much con- credit for their control of uh, Cansortium, but they're on the board now, right? They they clearly have a say in what's going on. So that could also be interesting. And let's not forget the last piece of, of the board, you know, Brady Cobb is now out of Cresco. He's the guy who built out Bluma. Cansortium looks pretty ripe. Like if I was him, I would definitely want to go back to Florida and I wouldn't want to start from scratch. So it's either Cansortium or it's Vitacan. You know, if you could roll Cansortium in with some other assets and make it into a major MSO, that gets pretty interesting. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it. Like clearly, you know, and this is the reason why it's further down our list. Like you have to kind of get creative when you're thinking of these scenarios about how it totally. works out. But um, that does make it an interesting, you know, investment to look at in general. Mm-hmm. It's just there are ways that this, company fits in, in into the future, you know, evolution of the cannabis industry and just so many companies with desire to get Florida scaled Florida in a big way. 
you got to strap on your tinfoil hat pretty good. Yeah. But look, you can connect the dots. They're there, right? Will anything happen? I don't know. But like it's out in the open, right? It's it's there. Yeah. Um, so la- last thing on that is, look, if you say the high water mark is a buck twenty five, what is the return that you want to make it attractive enough, right? So to me, I've just you know we've just gone through all these deals that are potential doubles and triples um, or more. So you know, like I need a good margin of safety. So I think it's below seventy cents. Which people might say is like, hey, you're being too greedy. But I think that's where it gets interesting to me. Um, and and again, maybe less. Uh, unless, you know, they, they execute or you think there's a real possibility of it being rolled up into something else, then it could be a multi-bagger, right? But again, there's a lot of options here. So you kind of have to decide and pick your poison about what makes the most sense at the right time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfectly said. All right, Nick, we've just finished an epic session. Uh, This is the second part. Uh, What would you like to leave listeners with when they're thinking about these seven up and coming MSOs? Yeah, I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, roll up your sleeves, do the hard work and, you know, dig through, especially with these operators, other than Columbia Care, which is just a monster to understand. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, generally five to eight state operators where, you know, it's really, really important to, like you said, look state by state, asset by asset and and dig deep into the financials to, you know, see what is the drivers today and what the drivers will be going forward. Um, Just because when you have, when you're working with these smaller operators from a market cap perspective, the the choices they make, the decisions they make, the M&A they pursue, where they allocate capital, those decisions are even more important than, than the big operators who, you know, have core markets and have, you know, wide range. And there's no one state determining everything about the company. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, doing the hard work, doing your due diligence and really understanding every, every, every aspect of these companies is inherent. And, uh, and then, you know, comparing that to the current valuation and, and find, finding relative opportunities where you can. That's a great point. And just to finish on that, in terms of relative valuation and opportunities, you know, going back to what I said on the last episode, the very start was that I feel like people sometimes get married to these stocks and they get really emotional about them and they want to find the next Amazon that you can just put your money into and forget about it. And if that's your investment style, I'm not knocking it. I'm just telling you how I think. And my way of looking at it is that I'm unemotional about this. And maybe that's because I come from the world of commercial real estate. And, you know, sometimes the crappy looking building that you buy at the cheaper price can be a better return than the beautiful trophy asset, right? Because people sometimes overpay for that and they get emotional over it. So to me, I like to understand all of these companies and understand the values at which I find that they're interesting. Things do not trade in lockstep anymore. You know, things, something goes down more because of negative news or just because of technical reasons or whatever. Right. And I want to know, like every day I wake up, I'm thinking, okay, what if I sell A to buy B? What if I sell C to buy, you know, D, right? What is the most compelling portfolio I can build for myself today? Um, And by knowing these companies, knowing where I find them interesting and not being afraid to buy and sell them, not every day, but I'm not afraid to make the move if it's compelling enough, right? So that's how I think about it. That's why I think it's important to understand if you're if you're trying to make outsized returns, there are some phenomenal opportunities. And I think we've got a good amount of runway here and a good window in which we can make real outsized returns if you're willing to look 
and understand and do the work and, and, you know, venture out of the, the middle of the herd where it kind of feels safest right now. It might not always work out for you, but it might be something you want to try out with a smaller amount of money um, and test your own ideas and see how it goes. Uh, or, you know, it just might be something to watch if, if that's not your style. But we give you kind of how we think about it. We leave it with you guys. And as always, we appreciate your comments. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Nick, thank you so much for joining for this epic marathon two-part episode. Until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you.